0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called The Edge of the World. (coughs) It's a guest essay by Sarah Miles. Sarah is Director of Ministry at St. Gregory of Nyssa Episcopal Church in San Francisco and the author of two books which I've reviewed on Journey with Jesus. The first one, Take This Bread, and then the second book, Jesus Freak, Feeding, Healing, Raising the Dead. Her essay is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, April 1st, 2012. Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, the sixth Sunday in Lent. This week, the grace of the Holy Spirit calls out to us. It's Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday, the end of Lent and the beginning of Holy Week. For the last 40 days, as we sang way back on Ash Wednesday, the Church has been, quote, sailing across the great sea of the fast, end quote. And this week, we're about to thrillingly and scarily sail right off the edge of the world. <coughs> Working in a church during this season is really weird. The gospel narrative is moving faster and faster. We're getting caught up in this dramatic story the growing crowds, the escalating miracles, Jesus' increasingly reckless self revelation. We're swimming in long, long passages of the most intense scripture. Living water, spit and mud turned into vision, the wild shout of come out to a dead man, a flood of tears and perfume, the whole sense of gathering doom and meaning and danger and glory. And at the same time, I'm ordering paper cups and plastic forks for Easter. I'm answering email until nine at night. I'm getting absorbed in my own self-important busyness, juggling spreadsheets and phone calls and visits from the copier repair guy, trying to figure out how the morning crew of volunteers can get those gigantic palm branches cut, trimmed, and hung without provoking one argument with the evening crew, who thought that they had booked this space for rehearsal and setting up the folding chairs. My throat hurts, I'm irritable from lack of sleep, I'm eating stale tortilla chips because I can't stop for lunch, and I don't have time to pray, much less listen to one more person with a question. I am officially in the weeds, the Holy Week weeds. But it doesn't matter. This week, the grace of the Holy Spirit calls us, And grace has brought us to the edge of the known world. We're entering God's time now. Time out of time. Kairos time. And nothing we do or don't do can stop it. And so, on Palm Sunday, I take off my watch for a week. I invite you to take off your watch, too. Or do whatever it takes for you to enter God's time to walk with Jesus all the way through Holy Week. In this week's epistle from Philippians 2, Paul quotes the early Christian hymn, the kenosis, or emptying, hymn, that describes how Jesus gives himself totally away in love. Jesus is one with the Father from before the beginning, one God at the center of all life. But as a human being, for the sake of all human beings, Jesus keeps moving further and further toward the edge. He turns his back on claims to power, humbles himself to serve the undeserving, empties himself so we can experience God's fullness, and dies so we can live. St. Paul is writing to urge us, the faithful, to do the same thing. Make your mind the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, he says, so that you too will walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's a manner that seems perilous at best. Over the course of the great narrative we hear during Lent, Jesus has given up family, reputation, home, safety. He's become a scandal in the eyes of the temple authorities and illegal in the eyes of the state. This Sunday, as if he's suddenly coming to his senses, Jesus enters Jerusalem, hailed by crowds who want to make him into the triumphal king who will save them from Rome. But Jesus doesn't care. He's already walking away from our shouts of Hosanna. He's moving toward the meal he most longs for, The last one, when he'll kneel down like a servant to wash his friend's feet. He's walking toward our angry shouts of crucify him and towards our betrayals as one by one (coughs) we abandon him to torture and death. (coughs) He's walking toward the edge of the world and none of it can stop him. He jumps off the edge. On to the cross, and into God's time, life eternal, the life we live today. All of which means, in a pretty unsettling way, Holy Week cannot be about a story that took place in the past, or a mere remembrance, or a historical reenactment. It's about the kind of life Jesus makes possible for all of us right now. But that life demands a different mind than the one I generally use. My own mind wants to shout hosannas in a happy crowd, waving palms, and later on be able to blame uh, that other crowd, the Jews, for all the bad stuff that happens. My own mind wants to claim Jesus as my friend and me as his personal favorite and pretend I won't betray him later like his other friends. I want to act as if I'm somehow separate from all the other suffering, sinful souls Jesus pours himself out for, disciples and executioners, cheering and jeering crowds, and each one of you. So it's really hard for me to walk with Jesus in a manner worthy of the gospel, as Paul says. Sure, I want forgiveness, but I don't necessarily want to admit how violent my own impulses can be. How capable I am of yelling crucify. Sure I want new life but I don't want to sit abandoned in a garden, be humiliated and hurt and killed in order to get there. I want to hang on to my own power and save myself rather than empty myself like Jesus. I know Palm Sunday is exciting but I also have a feeling it's going to get pretty dark over the next week before it's time For Easter except except that we're on God's time now and it turns out I don't have to jump off the edge of the world alone because Jesus already has. His abiding love is everywhere. The good news is that there's nothing left for me to do through my own anxious efforts at self-improvement. There's nothing left for any of us to do God is always moving all humanity closer to God with the endless love of our friend and Savior Jesus lighting the way for us from the cross. Back when I first started going to church about a dozen years ago I went around in a daze, as a friend told me later, like a deer caught in the headlights. I had been blindsided by Jesus who I didn't believe in, but who to my shock had shown up anyway quite alive, in a piece of bread. I used to come to church and sit during the early service, waiting for more bread, and halfway listening to the scriptures or whatever the preacher was saying. I'd stare out the window, gazing at the tangle of green ivy and nasturtiums beyond in a spaced out way. One day I noticed the window frames. They seemed to have a very peculiar construction. Oh, I thought, look at that. It's a cross. You can see a cross all over everything. You can see everything through the cross. There's a cross over the whole world. I was prepared and undeserving and stupid. But there is a cross over the whole world, and you can see everything through it. See the crowds, see the disciples, see Jesus riding the donkey into Jerusalem, eating supper with his friends, stumbling up the hill. And if you let your mind be made in the mind of Christ Jesus, you will stay beside him the whole way, because you see where all this is going. It is going toward love. It is going toward life and it cannot be stopped. The Edge of the World, a guest essay by Sarah Miles of St. Gregory Nissa Episcopal Church in San Francisco. For books this week, I review Mark Adams. The title, Turn Right at Machu Picchu, Rediscovering the Lost City One Step at a Time, New York, Dutton, 2011, Three hundred and thirty-three pages. Every year thousands of people trek to the remote Incan remains of Machu Picchu in Peru, and every year the same confounding questions tantalize them when they behold the breathtaking beauty. How and why did the Incans build these two hundred fifteenth-century structures cut into the terraced hills, eight thousand feet high in the Peruvian Andes? The Incas only ruled for about a century before the Spanish conquered them in 1572, but their architectural legacy remains one of the world's wonders. The site gets 76 inches of rain a year, (coughs) but it boasts extensive drains, canals, and fountains. No mortar, wheel, or iron tools were used with the precision-fitted granite rock No written language or carvings remain to explain the sacred site. Mark Adams writes for adventure travel magazines, although he's the first to admit that his outdoor skills are, shall we say, minimal. His book was published to coincide with the 100th anniversary of the 1911 discovery, quotation marks, of Machu Picchu by Hiram Bingham III. Adams combines self-effacing humor and serious cultural history to retrace Bingham's three expeditions and subsequent controversial claims, lawsuits, and reputation. Was Bingham a villain, a hero, or a fraud? Adams also tries to untangle ink and fact and fiction. He situates Machu Picchu into the larger complex of nearby sites, like Espiritu Pampa with its 700 buildings. He treks from the humid Amazon jungles to the lofty Andes peaks. Most of these Incan sites remain unexplored even today, partly because they are nearly inaccessible, partly because the dense jungles overtake them in a matter of months partly because the Spanish destroyed so much, and also because of contemporary looters. By one estimate, only about 25% of these archaeological remains have been excavated. And so the intrigue and allure of adventure archaeology remains as strong as ever. Indiana Jones, whose character was at least partly based upon Bingham's story, was popular for good reason. At best, we're left with educated guesses about Machu Picchu, says Mark Adams. The truth is, he writes at the end of his book, that Machu Picchu is always going to be something of a mystery. Mark Adams, turn right at Machu Picchu. For film this week, I review a documentary called Page One. Inside the New York Times, 2011. Can the New York Times survive? Does it even matter? Dozens of newspapers have disappeared, some of them with hundred-year histories. Advertising revenue has collapsed, circulation has plummeted, and business models have failed in the onslaught of the technical revolutions wrought by the likes of Gawker, Huffington Post, Newser, YouTube, Daily Cost, Wikipedia, and other numerous news aggregators. As one savvy staffer at the Times complained, I hear a colleague say they heard a story at noon when I saw it on Twitter last night at midnight. Why do we allow that? In contrast, when Daniel Ellsberg leaked the Pentagon Papers, it took 22 months from his midnight Xeroxing to their eventual publication. But not anymore. Former executive editor Bill Keller admits, WikiLeaks doesn't need us. We need them. He describes his media culture as grim and funereal. Which recognition led to the Times' controversial cooperation with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, to publish thousands of pages of secret government cables. This documentary is less of a look at the New York Times in particular than a brutal gut check on the entire newspaper industry. But it still does explore the Times' inbred culture of hubris and denial. Failures like cheerleading for the Iraq War. Carelessness with the plagiarism of Jason Blair. In its sense of exceptionalism that makes it especially vulnerable. This film opens in a printing plant with humongous rolls of paper, monster printing presses, conveyor belts, forklifts, and delivery trucks. Those days are long gone. I watched this 90-minute film on Netflix streaming. Once again the title, Page One. Inside the New York Times, 2011. And for Palm Sunday Poetry, we've posted a favorite poem of mine by G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton lived from 1874 to 1936. The title of the poem is The Donkey. When fishes flew and forests walked, and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry, in ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will, starve, scourge, deride me, I am dumb. I keep my secret still. Fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour in sweet. There was a shout about my ears in palms before my feet. The Donkey by G.K. Chesterton <laughs> Thank you for jour- joining us in Journey with Jesus. For Sunday, April first, twenty twelve, Palm Sunday. I'm Daniel B. Clint Denon.